Hello and welcome back to Millennial Ag, where agriculture is always on tap and no topic is off limits. Thanks for joining us today, your co-hosts, Valley Likely and Catherine Lovespeech. Listeners, welcome back to this week's episode where um, as, as we're diving into 2021 and I guess it's already February, which is just mind blowing to me that we're, I think past <laughs> January and into the next um, month. But, you know, something that's kind of been on a hot topic in agriculture lately has been carbon emissions and regenerative agriculture. Um, and we're excited this week to have Nate Burt from the Farm Journal um, with us. He's the vice president of Trust in Food. So without further ado, I'll let Nate give a little bit of background about him and then we'll dive into the symposium they're getting ready to have. Great. Well, Valine and Catherine, thanks so much for hosting me today. Really excited to get to visit with you. So like you said, um, Nate Burt, I've been with the Farm Journal team for going on nine years now and uh, with our Trust in Food team since about uh, mid-2017. And so um, my background is not at all in agriculture. I actually came to Farm Journal from Consumer Media. So I'm a journalist by training. And, uh, and so it's been really interesting for me to follow developments in agriculture related to conservation, sustainability, regenerative ag, as you mentioned, Valine, at the start, um, this idea of, of agriculture as a solution to drawing down carbon emissions, to creating new streams of revenue for farmers, and also and uh, I want to apologize to your listeners if you hear screaming in the background. My wife and I have four kids, and they've been trapped in the house for the last several days amid these cold uh, February temperatures. So, so thanks for your flexibility there. Um, but again, I, my role is really just making sure that as we as we think about how to serve farmers well through the programming that we do, we're really trying to understand where the market is headed and create ways for farmers to really take the next step in their conservation journey. And in some cases that looks like providing great editorial content. So farmers have a better sense of what are other producers in my peer group doing and how can I be like them? Um, how can I take lessons or, or hacks that they found and apply it to my farm? In other cases, that means making sure that we are able to help farmers compare. For example, in the December issue of Farm Journal, we published a carbon market chart to help farmers start comparing notes on what is Bayer doing versus what is Nutrien doing versus what is the ecosystem services market consortium doing? And again, it's really just the tip of the iceberg, but all of these things taken together are really creating a toolkit for farmers to be able to say, what's happening? What does it mean to me? And how can I take the, the next step on my farm? Recognizing that a producer in Oregon probably needs something different than a row crop farmer in Iowa. So it's a really exciting opportunity and we're thrilled to be a part of the conversation. I think that's great too. And especially, you know, one thing that um, the new administration has mentioned too is that agriculture is a solution for um, greenhouse gas emissions and carbon specifically. So it's it's fun to see agriculture as a solution in some of these conversations. And we can dive into the science of that maybe some other time um, because I, I coming from a beef background and some of this cover crops we're doing, I can I can kind of nerd out a little bit on, on some of this carbon stuff as well. But how about you tell us a little bit Bit about the Trust in Food Symposium coming up and what how that ties into um, carbon emissions and kind of some of the other efforts you're doing as far as that goes. Yeah, thanks, Valine. So the Trust in Food Symposium is in its fourth year. So this year in 2021, we'll be hosting a virtual symposium for the first time ever in light of uh, the COVID environment in which we're living. And the symposium takes place from February 23rd 
through the 25th. And so that's a Tuesday through a Thursday. Uh, in the mornings, we actually will be hosting shared sort of crossover content with our friends at Top Producer Summit, uh, which is a Top Producer Summit is an event we've been holding for years. It's really a tremendous uh, continuing education for executives of farm businesses and row crop and livestock. So beef, dairy, pork, uh, as well as produce. And so Trust in Food is sponsoring sustainability themed content each morning from roughly 11 a.m. Central Time to about 12.30 p.m. Central Time. And, um, and we'll be hosting speakers, including people such as Dr. Jonathan Foley of Project Drawdown, uh, Dr. Tim of Colorado State, who's uh, known and uh, very respected among the livestock community. Also, Dr. Frank Mitlerner of the University of California at Davis uh, for a livestock-themed uh, set of programming on, on the second day of the, the event. And then on the third day, we'll be really focusing on innovation and biodiversity and uh, featuring uh, uh, folks from uh, the Land Institute, from the Walmart Foundation, and um, a variety of other organizations as well. And then in the afternoons, we'll be hosting our symposium program, and that'll run from roughly one to two central time. And as you've probably ascertained, really the focus of the content that Trust in Food brings to the table is intended both for the producer audience as well as sustainable agriculture professionals. So that includes government agencies, it includes food companies, it includes agribusiness, and really the, the whole event is centered on the lived experiences of farmers and ranchers. So, you know, there's so much conversation happening as I'm sure you all are more aware than I am um, that talks about what do farmers and ranchers need to be doing to help respond to all of the environmental pressures that we're seeing, not only in the United States, but around the world. What we say at our event is if it's not right for farmers and ranchers, it's not gonna happen. And so how do we make sure that we're actually listening to what farmers and ranchers are experiencing, recognizing that every producer is at a different stage in that sustainability journey, and then framing the conversation with experts and others who are informing the science, who are actually bringing new products and innovation to market to help farmers and ranchers on that journey. And then making sure that we actually hear from producers themselves uh, as to their reactions and their lived experiences. And so each morning, we'll actually have sort of those keynote presentations from experts in, in sustainable agriculture. Then we'll have a farmer reaction panel. So really hearing from farmers about how those issues. So on the first day, we'll be talking a lot about carbon. Um, how are farmers thinking about these issues? What have they experienced on their own farms? What else do they need in order to be successful? And then we'll be doing audience Q&A. So it's, it's all live, it's all interactive. Um, and then in the afternoons, we'll have special programming dedicated to those, not all farmers as well as sustainability professionals. So day one is carbon. And then in the afternoon, it's carbon policy. Day two, it's all about livestock. And in the afternoon, it's how our specific sectors in protein, so that's dairy, it's beef, it's pork, it's poultry. How are each of them thinking about setting targets related to drawing down carbon emissions? Um, what's, what do they see on the horizon as opportunities? What's challenging for them? And how are they working through those challenges? And then day three, we'll have those sessions I mentioned in the morning about regenerative ag, about biodiversity. And then in the afternoon, it'll be a, a round table of um, federal agencies like USDA, um, agribusiness and um, NGOs talking about innovation and how are they thinking about helping farmers um, take into the field um, and listen to farmers and really make sure they're equipped with the best products, services, and technology 
to actually quantify the good things they're already doing and take the next step on that journey to lower environmental impact, but also be able to take credit for the things that they're doing and tell that to the marketplace. So how would you encourage if a farmer city or farmer rancher dairyman um, is sitting on the fence when it comes to attending the symposium, what's your big selling point to them to attend? Sure. So I, I've been to enough farmer events that I know something that's free tends to sell really well. And the symposium is completely free. There's no cost at all. And so if these issues are the least bit interesting, we would love to host you just to really get a chance to hear what people are talking about, ask questions. And um, again, you may hear something that uh, you disagree with and that's okay. We would love to get your feedback, especially about issues that are really um, racing through your mind. You know, carbon markets are something that um, we know are definitely a hot topic, but we also know there are, is a lot of reservation and hesitation around jumping in. Like when is the right time to jump in? What do I need to know to get started? And so if you go to trustinfood.com, um, you'll find a link at the top right-hand corner of the screen to the symposium. So just click that tab and you'll be directed to the registration page. Again, it's trustinfood.com. Click on the symposium link and you'll get everything you need to know to sign up. And again, it's free. So if you're on the fence, um, no cost, lots of tremendous speakers, lots of farmer voices, and lots of opportunity to ask questions and make your voice heard. Um, as you're sort of navigating this world. Farmers are smart. They don't have a lot of extra time to play with. And so if there's a session that that's, um, you know, seems interesting, join either when it's live or know that later on um, via the Farm Journal media platform, whether it's agweb.com or our magazine brands or our TV shows, we'll be recording those sessions and making them available to farmers broadly if you're not able to make the live event February 23rd through the 25th. Great. And I, um, so why, why did Food Journal, I guess, develop trust in food and why, why the symposium? Yeah, Valine, that's a great question. So I guess, um, you know, it's two parts. So let's talk about trust in food first. Farm Journal recognized that in our history, we've been around for, um, you know, not terribly long, about 145 years. And so during that time, we really have, developed a passion for helping farmers through periods of rapid change. We were developed way back in, the, in 1877, Wilmer Atkinson, who was the founder of Farm Journal. Um, he was a farmer himself, a Quaker farmer living in Pennsylvania, and he recognized that farmers needed an independent voice to help them sort of separate the, the truth from fiction, right? To understand what's snake oil and what's actually going to help my business be better. And so, since that time, we've really in inherited that ethic of service and of helping farmers understand what's happening and giving them the options they need to make the best decisions possible. And so fast forward to today, um, we recognized that there was all of this momentum, not just in farm country, but also among investors uh, on Wall Street, um, among agribusinesses and food companies to champion to the public how sustainable or regenerative they are. And we also recognize that, and I think this is changing, at the start, um, over the last decade or so, there was a real emphasis on, um, at least perceptually, telling farmers what they need to do to be responsive to the consumer. And what we said was, how do we make sure that farmers are at the table in those conversations? And the really great news today, I think, is that a lot of people are actually thinking about how to engage farmers. And that's something that we've been doing for a century and a half is building the trust of the farmer, 
providing valuable information in a way that's accessible to farmers and that doesn't insult their intelligence, um, but that also is very practical and, and informed by science. Um, nearly three decades ago, Farm Journal started its own independent uh, series of test plots to actually assess new products and technology in the field and um, was able to get agribusinesses and machinery companies and tech firms to donate their resources to actually give proof cases in the field as to whether these things work or not. And so when it came to forming trust in food, we recognized that we had an obligation to help farmers make sense of all of the, all of the noise that's happening around telling consumers what farmers do or what farmers should be doing in some cases. And we had an obligation to make sure that we brought farmers into that conversation and then developed resources and editorial content and um, products to help farmers actually navigate that change and to in turn help the rest of the industry from agribusiness to farmer associations to food companies um, hear from farmers to get the data and insights they need to understand what farmers can or can't do and to help them identify those barriers and, and identify ways that as an industry, they can be helping to equip farmers to be successful in that next chapter of sustainability. And so that's really what Trust in Food aims to do is to bring the trust of farmers, the data and insights that are powered by the farmers that work with Farm Journal, and then the actual um, the platform that we enjoy through storytelling, through research, through events like the Trust in Food Symposium, um, using those events in the service of farmers for a more sustainable future. And so that really brings us to the symposium today. It's really a premier event to bring the voices of farmers to center stage and then um, invite the industry to the table and really make sure that there's that two-way dialogue between producers and between everyone from farmer associations and agribusiness all the way to federal, federal and state agencies, to food companies, and those who are working directly with the eating public, which is you and me. I think it's a great, you know, balance and trying to get get everybody at the table, which is seems like it's an ongoing feat in itself because everybody has different opinions and agendas and thoughts on things. So trying to even come to the same table, I think, is an amazing step in the right direction. How many would you say producers show up versus, um, you know? government agencies or ag businesses or the retailer, just consumers too? Yeah, that's a really great question, Valine. That's something that our team actually took a look at today. And I'm not going to remember the exact statistics, but we have close to 500 people registered to, to join us uh, in a couple of weeks here in February. And I would say that it's actually a fairly even split. So roughly a third of the audience is producers. That's uh, row crop, it's produce, it's livestock. Um, roughly a third are you know, the agribusiness uh, community uh, that includes, you know, large multinational companies as well as smaller scale consulting firms. And then it also in, uh, includes about a third, um, maybe slightly more than a third that would include uh, not conservation nonprofits. It includes food companies and food retail. And so it's really a nice mix. And, um, and one of uh, my colleagues actually remarked the other day, you know, you don't normally see this sort of even split between those sort of stakeholders. And it's, so it's exciting. And it, it really suggests that, um, as you mentioned earlier in, the, in the, uh, the podcast, you know, the new administration, the Biden administration, I think is going to create, um, has created some real, real measurable momentum. And so now there, there are, you know, new people coming to the table and people who have a renewed interest in having this conversation around 
you know, how do we actually operationalize or create real change on the ground when it comes to helping farmers with sustainability? And do you think it can become profitable for farmers to do these things? You know, if it doesn't pencil, it they don't do it. So how do we make it profitable or at least enticing besides regulations to get them to or us or whoever it is to start making those changes or change our buying habits maybe even? Yeah, that's that's a really important question. I mean, one of the things that we certainly see today is that there is a lot of effort being committed to illustrating the linkage between stewardship and economic ROI. So I'll give you just a couple of examples. And this is something that at Farm Journal, we're certainly planning and at Trust in Food planning to dig into throughout the year. And that is helping farmers to um, sort of be able to understand and articulate and embrace the economics, because, you know, frankly, as you mentioned, that there are practices in conservation and stewardship that, that don't necessarily pencil out or that you need a financial incentive or something to help offset the cost of implementing um, an infrastructure change, for example, on, on a land on a landscape. But in other cases, um, there are real opportunities. So I know our friends at uh, American Farmland Trust, which is a member of a, a program that Trust in Food leads called America's Conservation Ag Movement, uh, American Farmland Trust has worked closely with USDA and the Natural Resources Conservation Service on um, reports that that articulate sort of the ROI and actually talk to real farmers across the country and the, the economic outcome of actually adopting some of those practices. So something I would encourage your listeners to check out. Another really interesting program that's um, that was developed during the Obama administration, but that continues to be to gain momentum is the Agriculture Innovation Agenda from USDA. Um, another uh, agency that we've been working closely with and thinking about how to actually help more farmers um, get more innovation out to farmers and make it cost effective and something that farmers in, in different diverse um, cropping systems, livestock systems to actually incorporate. And so um, I don't have any really good concrete numbers to share today, but what I would tell you is that if you um, visit your um, best uh, search engine and also stay tuned to, uh, to the team at Farm Journal and to other agencies and nonprofits that I've mentioned today and many others that I simply haven't had the time to. I think you're going to find there are tremendous case studies and data points that are starting to build a proof case for the value of conservation relative, not just to um, getting an economic return. Um, certainly carbon markets are the most um, uh, perhaps salient example of new revenue streams for farmers. But in addition, there are really great case studies that show that when you focus on conservation, you can actually save money by using fewer inputs or having fewer passes across the field, whether that's conservation tillage or using um, precision ag software to actually identify where you place certain inputs in the field, or actually taking land that really isn't productive, that maybe is, is a drag on your yield, and converting those to um, you know, wildlife habitat or uh, buffers or something like that. So um, there are lots of great organizations and agencies that are building the data. And, um, you know, definitely stay tuned because your friends at Farm Journal are going to be focusing on actually elevating those stories and, and illustrating farmers who are actually finding the economic ROI, to your point, of these kinds of practices. That's Nate, can you find oh. regenerative ag for us? Yeah, that's a great question. So Catherine, I don't know that there is a universally uh, embraced definition of regenerative ag, but I think in short, what we hear from the industry, and, and by that I mean, um, you know, 
food companies, food retailers, agribusinesses that are embracing that terminology. It's really about how do we um, how do we center farmers as solutions providers, and how do we make you know I think for a long time, um, especially maybe in activist circles, farmers have been pegged as um, not just um, you know big agriculture, but also being um, purposefully detrimental to the health of the environment. And as those of you, um, including uh, you know Valine and Catherine, who are actively in agriculture, know um, farmers are thinking about the stewardship of water, of soil, of animals, um, probably more than anyone else on the planet. But mm -hmm. are also real opportunities, not just to be the best stewards possible, but also actually contribute to a healthier ecosystem. So rebuilding soil organic matter or thinking about how to integrate livestock into a cropping system um, to sort of create a full circle of, uh, you know, the manure actually contributing to better organic matter, um, using those livestock to graze down the cover crops, sort of thinking about new novel ways, you know, perhaps things that our grandparents were using um, several, several decades ago, but also thinking about how to integrate um, new technology, new products into agricultural systems to actually uh, sequester carbon, to make sure that we're um, thinking about how do you, how do, um, you know, cropping lands and livestock uh, pasture and, and um, uh, grazing lands coexist with forested landscapes? And what benefits can we use when we think about managing all of that as a, as a, as a system versus in, independently of one another? And so I guess um, that's a long convoluted answer to say that regenerative ag is really about farmers um, taking the reins and getting credit for finding both tried and true methods as well as new and novel ways of creating stronger, more resilient ecosystems that are more capable of responding to a changing climate and also creating economic returns that are not only good for the environment but also good for farm families and making sure that those farms are in operation for generations to come. To me, I think it sounds almost like what I would define as sustainability too. Something that's not only helping the planet, but helping keep family businesses and operations here for generations. And it's going to look different from one operation to the next and maybe no-till work for this farmer while cover crops are going to work, but we're going to till the land and, and all sorts of things. And it's, I think it's, hard to even define whether it's sustainability or regenerative and and just starting the conversation you know around it but do we do we start labeling that we're doing regenerative practices or how do we how do we market that to the consumer or the carbon market wow that is a really really big question i'm not even going to attempt to talk about um you know, I'm not going to prescribe or make any recommendations around that marketing piece. I mean, I will say there are some really interesting things, um, just as an example, in the organic world, which, you know, we are at Trust in Food, um, you know, sort of try to be Switzerland, right? So organic production has a place, conventional production has a place. Um, you know, there's some interesting um, activity happening around certification standards for things like regenerative organic. Um, I think our perspective at Trust in Food is that there's a space for um, a diverse uh, basket of consumer preference for how food is produced. And likewise, there is a, a space for all farmers at the table, regardless of what system they use. I think what we're focused on is how can you um, make regenerative, uh, as you said, um, something that is quantifiable as to the benefits that it's providing to ecosystems, to local communities, to the economic ROI or the bottom line of farmers, 
um, and then also create a space where um, more farmers are able to to try, dip their toe in the water, so to speak, and try it out. Because some farmers, I, th I think many farmers already are probably doing parts and pieces of this, like you said, whether it's no-till or cover crops. We know from, from the data and from science that not every practice or suite of practices or products is going to make every, the sense for every farmer and every system in every county in America. But what we can say is these are the kinds of decisions you can be thinking about to sort of navigate your own regenerative journey. These are the ways that you can capture the data to quantify the economic ROI, the environmental ROI. These are the kinds of time horizons on which you can expect to see change. And we know that especially in regenerative and sustainable ag, some of these changes take a long time and farmers only have you know, once, maybe twice a year, depending on the decision to actually implement something and, and see what the ROI was. And so what we're trying to do at Trust in Food is to say, here is the big basket of choices that you have. Here are some of the things you should be thinking about in terms of, does it benefit the soil? Does it, does it improve water quality? If not, what are the trade-offs that you should be considering? Really giving farmers the the conversational language and the decisions that they should be thinking through rather than being prescriptive and saying you should choose door number A versus door number, door number, door A. <laughs> Give people options and then let them make smart choices based on what works for them in their particular context. Very good. Um, Nate, I'm curious. I, I don't know if you've answered this yet, but um, wondering does Trust in Food have a role in relaying the good news, so to speak, to consumers? That is a great question and something we talk a lot about. So I would say that today, the most obvious example of how we are actually taking this message to consumers is a project that our, our friends at the Farm Journal Foundation, which is a separate nonprofit set up about a decade ago by Farm Journal, has started and, and manages day to day. And that's something called the Voice of the Farmer Garden on the the National Mall in Washington, DC. There's also a virtual uh, garden that your listeners can visit. It's fjfgarden.org. Again, that's fjfgarden.org. And this is something that um, actually sort of walks the public through the story of American agriculture and that environmental and sustainability piece. Um, and because of COVID, the foundation was really forward thinking and developed a virtual speaker tour to college campuses around the country this past fall. It also created a K through 12 curriculum to take that story into classrooms, um, both virtually and in person. And so that's a really strong example of a sort of, a, a, again, dipping our toe in the water of reaching out to consumers. I think in the future, we recognize that we're going to have to be tremendously collaborative with food companies, food retailers, others who actually create food products that are delivered to um, tables across America. And that's something that while we don't have a, a full suite of products or services today, it's something that we're certainly motivated to create for the future. And that's why we are so excited to be working with organizations that Trust in Food has started to serve like General Mills, um, like hosting the Walmart Foundation for our upcoming symposium um, and many other organizations that we've, uh, you know, Sanderson Farms, a, tremendously valued partner of America's conservation ag movement, that public-private partnership we, we run day to day. Um, you know, companies like this and many more to come, uh, many I haven't mentioned already, um, are really going to be instrumental in, in linking the farm gate to the public 
And we're really excited about the possibilities that open up when you start thinking about actually taking that story to the world. There is so many different aspects of the Farm Journal that I think we could end up on on any number of them and continue to dive in. But with the interest of time, um, first, I want to thank you, Nate, for again joining us. But let's re would you remind listeners um, when the symposium is, is there a deadline that they have to sign up by? And again, remind them of the cost, because I think that's a huge selling point, too. Absolutely, Valine. So thank you again, Valine and Catherine, for hosting me today. So as a reminder to your listeners, the Trust in Food Symposium takes place from February 23rd, that's a Tuesday, to February 25th, which is Thursday. So February 23rd through the 25th, it is completely free. And we'll have uh, an enormous lineup of great speakers and experts and farmers. So you don't want to miss it. Go to trustinfood.com and look in the top right-hand corner for the symposium link and get signed up. You can sign up anytime, including the day of. So just uh, go to trustinfood.com, click the symposium link and register there. Anytime between now and February 23rd or anytime February 23rd, 24th, or 25th, sign up. Uh, again, if you miss the symposium and you're listening to this after the event has happened, um, you can shoot me a note at inbert at farmjournal.com. Again, n-b-i-r-t at farmjournal.com. We'll make sure to hook you up as we publish content that comes from those sessions at the symposium. Well, great, Nate. And we'll make sure to um, have you send us all those links as well. So we'll put them in the show notes and can share them with our listeners as well. Um, listeners, we thank you for tuning into this week's episode of the Millennial Ag Podcast. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also drop us an email at talktous at millennialag.com. Until next week, we are Millennial Ag. <laughs>